Once again, we welcome you to the assembly and to our time to spend together in a study of God's Word. Hopeful the things that we speak about and that we consider this uh, evening will be helpful to you. Uh, Tonight's lesson is, I suppose, a little different, at least in some regards, in terms of the topics I choose to speak on. I haven't spoken on this topic for some time. Um, And I don't know if that's good or bad, but you can judge about that when we get through it. But uh, um, a a few weeks ago, when I was taking suggestions about uh, Sunday night uh, topics that we could consider from the Bible, this question came up. Uh, I never got around to really putting it on the list, but I thought uh, that it might be a good time uh, to do it this evening. Uh, I want to talk about Christmas. Uh, From the standpoint of the biblical perspective on should Christians celebrate Christmas as the birthday of Jesus, um, and what does the Bible say about Christmas? And this thing, when I wrote that down on my outline, I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about Christmas. I thought, well, uh, it's going to not leave me much room because the Bible doesn't say much about Christmas. Uh, in fact, the Bible says nothing about the, uh, the Christmas as the celebration of the birthday of Jesus. So we'll look at it from this perspective of the principles that are found in the Bible uh, and as well looking at the historical aspect of the event that Christmas is considered to represent. One thing is certainly true, and that is Christians take different views on the celebration of this holiday. Um, and I suppose if maybe you came out of the denominational world to become a part of the uh, Lord's Church, uh, and uh, you, had a, you had a practice of celebrating Christmas in some way before uh, you, you came to know about the Lord's Church, then uh, you uh, no doubt uh, found that to be rather unique. Uh, that uh, the Lord's Church takes a different approach for the most part, at least as I speak about what the Lord's Church conviction is, uh, and you understand my uh, hesitancy to do that, uh, it takes a different, uh, sort of a unique approach than most religious bodies do, or at least religious bodies that consider themselves to be after the followings of Jesus. That most uh, denominational religions uh, fervently celebrate and adhere to the aspect of celebration of the, uh, of the birthday of Jesus on December 25th. Uh, but there are among Christians different opinions about this and different convictions, and I don't in any way want to um, uh, try to uh, disrupt that. I'm fully convinced that the celebration of Christmas should not disrupt congregations or cause divisions among God's people, and I'll explain to you why I think that's so as we go along. But there's none of us, and I think we would certainly agree with this, there's none of us that's not affected by uh, the celebration of Christmas as a religious holiday in this country. Uh, that it is, uh, it is so well entrenched in our culture uh, and the elements are so much a part of our everyday life uh, that it's here, not only here to stay, but certainly it's here with all of its influence. It's a national holiday, the schools and businesses close, and people take time off, and sometimes they're closed even for weeks, uh, and they're all around us. Uh, you see the trappings and the elements that have to do with the celebration of Christmas, not only as the, 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 the supposed birthday of Jesus, but also even as the culture, cultural and the historical um, secular uh, observance that it really is. Uh, and our, our religious neighbors, as I mentioned, they celebrate it and they invite us to participate and they want us to be a part of that celebration. Uh, and sometimes when, they look, when our religious neighbors look around and see the increasing commercialization of the Christmas holiday, so to speak, uh, one thing that, uh, that comes out is they call on us to put Christ back in Christmas. Uh, and I find that a very fascinating perspective that uh, as Christians we're standing opposed to something that puts Christ into something, at least in some regards, uh, putting Christ into Christmas because when we look at what the Bible teaches, the Bible doesn't say anything about Christ being in the religious celebration of Christmas. 
Uh, and so it's hard to put Jesus back into it from a biblical perspective. But I say all of that to, to, to get us to first begin by recognizing uh, the type of circumstance that we're in in relationship to the people around us. And I think Christians ought to be very careful about that. Um, I think if we really are serious about being a light to the world and preaching the gospel to others and having an influence on others uh, and using discernment that we cannot compromise the truth and yet not go around beating people on the head with our personal convictions about religious holidays. And I think sometimes uh, that, that's the approach that's taken uh, and uh, we, we uh, shoot people away from us before we ever get them to teach, teach them the principle but why they could understand what the Bible is teaching about this subject or how our, where our convictions lie. So we'll talk a couple, a couple minutes about this aspect of Christmas from the standpoint of what it is designed to represent or what it points to, and that is, of course, the birth of Christ. Um, when was Jesus born? What is the date of Jesus' birth? Uh, was He born on December 25th, year zero? And there are a lot of folks out there, I think, who, in terms of they're, uh, the, the fact that they're not, they're not much associated with the Bible or even the historical element of Jesus' birth, uh, that that's sort of where they land in terms of looking at Jesus' birth because all they know about Jesus' birth is the Christmas celebration, the Christmas, Christmas narrative. It would appear from the, from the calendar that we use uh, of the days of A.D. and appear from uh, the celebration of Christmas that that would be a sort of a, a logical conclusion that Jesus was born on December 25th in year zero. The problem with that is that's not historically accurate. The only authentic record of Jesus' birth is found in the new t- pages of the New Testament of the Bible. Which again is ironic that the only authentic record we can have Jesus' birth is that which you see does not support the celebration of Jesus' birth or the, the many of the facts surrounding it. The Bible says nothing about the date of Jesus' birth. There is no day, no month, or no year mentioned in any of that, in any of the text of the Bible. And so that's where we start, is recognizing that any attempt to celebrate the birthday of Jesus is missing the vital information from the standpoint of when it actually took place. If I'm going to celebrate your birthday, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, well, when were you born? What day should we do that? So birthdays themselves, as we understand them, are connected to that. And that doesn't mean you can't celebrate or or commemorate the birth of someone on a day in which they were not born. That doesn't, uh, I think, uh, make the aspect of Christmas illegitimate from that standpoint. But what I say is that, what what I'm pointing out is that the Christmas narrative, as sometimes we might look at it, the Christmas story as it's presented in the religious world, sometimes can be rather misleading, provide for us a picture that's not really accurate from the standpoint of what the Bible teaches. And that's what we ought to draw people to, is what does the Bible actually teach about the birthday of Jesus? And Matthew and Luke record the biblical accounts of Jesus' birth, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And based on the various lines of evidence, it's possible to place the birth of Jesus historically between the years 7 and 4 B.C. Some of the problems with the calendar that exist that you can research tell us that there were some mistakes made when the decision when the distinction was made between A.D. and B.C. And so the actual time in which Jesus was born, as its account historically, particularly by Luke, would put it in that time frame. We don't know the month, the day, or of his birth. The fact that the shepherds were in the field would suggest to many that it was time. It was a time either in the summer um, or in the months that bordered the summer, either in the fall and the spring. It's seemingly the time that the shepherd would not be in the field would be in the winter, the month of December or January. So uh, many have said that it's highly unlikely that Jesus was born in December 25th because the aspect of the shepherds being in the field, maybe sometime before November. Adam Clark, the noted Methodist scholar of the early 19th century, 
uh, stated correctly that uh, the Bible writers do not give the date birth uh, of Jesus. And he says, learned and pious men have trifled egregiously on this subject, making that of importance which the Holy Spirit by his silence has plainly informed them is of none. And there, and I point this out here not to put any particular emphasis on what Mr. Clark would say, but to recognize this is one of many particular quotes that we could look at and statements he would make by individuals that are Bible scholars from the past, individuals that are greatly respected, that when they look at this subject about the date of Jesus' birth, they come to the same conclusion, and that is that there's no way of knowing, and that we really have gone about a great deal of, a great deal of trouble to try to assign it to a particular date without any possibility of knowing whether or not we've got that right. So December 25th was one of several dates that were proposed in the the discussions about the celebration of Jesus' birthday, Um, and eventually that was the date that was decided upon. Uh, Well, when did the observance of December 25th as the birthday of Jesus begin? How far back does it go? Uh, Historians tell us that it was nearly three centuries after the death of Jesus before a day was set for the special observance of Jesus' birth. Now, I say that so that we don't, that doesn't go uh, past us so quickly because we need to put that in perspective. That Jesus lived a certain period of time. How long did it take the church before they began commemorating his death? How long was it before they began celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It was immediately, in fact, the celebration of the death of Jesus and the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus were incorporated in the apostolic message. So the church immediately began that. 300 years later, they're still trying to figure out when to celebrate his birth from the standpoint of the celebration of the, of the, of the things in the life of Jesus. So as the church then began to make departures from the New Testament pattern of organization and of doctrine, of course we all know that took place, uh, the observance of special days then became a very common part of that. Uh, not just with the aspect of the celebration of Christmas, but other celebrations as well, religious holidays that were borrowed over even from paganism and from Judaism. By the 3rd or 4th century, the church had observed observed the Epiphany, Easter, and Christmas, all three. The pagan Romans celebrated the Mithric feast of the sun god and the Roman god uh, Saturn and Saturnalia, and in that context, then, uh, the, the, it became accommodative to make that the time in which the celebration of Jesus' birth would take place. So Christmas, is ter- uh, December 25th, as far as the time in which the birthday of Jesus would be uh, celebrated religiously, uh, coincides with uh, the solstice, the winter solstice, when you see uh, the, the, the days would be getting shorter, uh, the days having been shorter would begin to be getting longer again, and so the, that became a very central time in which uh, this, the, the celebration of Jesus' birth would take place. Uh, and the, I guess I suppose what scholars tell us is the reasoning sort of went like this: that Jesus is the light of the world, and so if you have a celebration that's taking place culturally and in, in terms of other religions that celebrates uh, and tries to encourage the coming of light. Uh, then it would seem like if you accommodated those those particular things together, you could make it easier for people to be converted to Christianity uh, because you meld together their physical and cultural celebrations. That became sort of official during the period of Constantine, and Emperor Constantine pursued the deliberate policy of uniting the worship of the Son with that of Christ, that Coleman says in his history. And so the idea here is that when we look at the origin of Christian, uh, of Christmas as a celebration of Jesus' birth, it doesn't have its origin in, in the Bible or in the, uh, in the teachings of the apostles or the practice of the first century church. It's much later. 
And not only is it much later historically, but it's also connected with uh, pagan holidays that already existed in celebrations. So it was an attempt to accommodate, and maybe in some ways it was actually a fact of accommodating, uh, the religious celebrations of others with the celebration of the birth of Christ. So by the middle of the 4th century, the church at Rome began the observance of the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, Christostom of Antioch, about AD 386, uh, is said to be the first one who actually said Jesus was born on December 25th uh, and made that date official. And so Christian, Christmas had its origins um, in that background. What we recognize then is the celebration of Christmas did not have its origin with God, but had its origin with men. I believe that that needs to be underlined from the standpoint of sticking with the facts and recognizing its place in terms of religious celebrations that existed uh, among the Jews and among God's people in other times and other eras. Religious holidays are not new to God's people. In fact, God's establishment of Israel as a nation uh, and the covenant was based upon the observance of religious holidays that looked back to specific events in, the, in God's history with his people and celebrated the importance of certain events. What we don't find, though, is the carrying over of either the Jewish holidays or the erection of new religious holidays in the New Testament era. Uh, are there any memorials? Are there any commemorations? Well, I think there are. Certainly the Lord's Supper, in terms of the death of Jesus and his resurrection, is clearly extant within the first century church. It stands as something that God expected his people to do uh, during the period of the coming of the kingdom uh, and into the kingdom. Uh, there's the aspect of, uh, as well, I think, of baptism. Uh, the baptism in water is a commemoration or a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and life of the individual. Uh, Jesus was raised from the dead, so the individual is raised uh, in the waters of baptism. Uh, and the idea, uh, certainly the aspect here of the death and the resurrection of Jesus are central to what God expects us to remember. Most of the traditions, or many of the traditions, that are associated with the Christmas holidays as well originated in paganism. And again, this may or may not be interest of, of interest to you, but I think it is important for us in terms of looking at the facts to connect that together. Because it's possible for individuals to actually participate in traditional things, to do things that others have done, their parents, their grandparents have done, without really knowing the origin of them. And I don't know that that necessarily is... Uh, is always a bad thing. Traditions themselves are not inherently bad. But if we go along without finding out what those traditions are related to, then it's possible for us to either misinterpret the way that we are doing the tradition or why we're doing it, or it might very well lead us into honoring something that God did not expect us to honor. Uh, and so we look at this at the traditions that are associated with the celebration of Christmas, and we recognize that most of them, if not all of them, had their origin in the same way that the celebration of Christmas did, and that is in paganism or in the development of false religion. Um, some say the Christmas tree had its origin uh, in Germany. An English missionary replaced uh, the sacrifices to the Norse gods, Odin's sacred oak, by putting a fir tree and then... Or, uh, and then uh, decorating that tree and making a tribute to the birth of the, the Christ child. Uh, Santa Claus and other figures like that, believed to originate in the 4th century, um, again having to do with Catholicism and, this, and, and the celebration of certain saints uh, that uh, were very important to the Catholic religion of that day. Uh, uh, I didn't, haven't done much research on Santa Claus, but that jolly fellow that's so happy all the time really didn't come out until the 19th century in New York City. So we look at those, uh, those, those traditions, and, and again, I'm not saying that they're wrong because they're traditions. We have many traditions uh, that we follow culturally and secularly. 
But understanding where they came from helps us to sort things out and recognize whether or not these things could possibly engage us in something that would not be what God would want us to do. Lights go back to the celebration of the winter solstice and the idea of the lighting up of the world. And the, writing of the pagans would burn bonfires out in the fields in order to help the sun god to waken up and to give him strength so that the days would begin longer and the sun would re- reverse its course in the sky. We look at all that and we realize there, that those things that existed at that time have very little link to reality, uh, that they're traditions that have to do with the imaginations of men and that's why they exist. Uh, the popular Christmas story that's associated with the birth of Jesus as well uh, has things associated with it that are not true to the text. And again, I don't know how important this might be to you, but I think if we're going to try to teach people about Jesus, and that's really why we would even be concerned about the celebration of his birth, is in essence to get it right, then we ought to be drawn to try to, to tell individuals and teach individuals what the Bible actually says about it. And the, the, the popular Christmas story varies from the biblical account in many points. Um, all is calm, all is bright. Uh, the idea that the, 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 the Bethlehem at night was a very calm place and that the time of the, uh, of the birth of Jesus was the time when the world was at peace. Uh, and that's probably not so from the standpoint of the text. Uh, even, even Mary and Joseph's uh, presence in Bethlehem was not a time in which would be punctuated with peacefulness. The town of Bethlehem would have been bustling and noisy. The census would have been very exacting. There were papers to fill out. There were requirements to meet. And certainly all of those things would not fit the picture uh, of the popular uh, Christmas narrative. We know that there were Magi that came to see Jesus, sometimes referred to as wise men. Uh, We don't know how many, though the Christmas story tells us that there were three. That's simply, again, uh, speculation and imagination. There were three gifts, but that doesn't tell us how many of the individuals actually came. Uh, We don't know their names. Again, not according to tradition. Uh, They did not come to the manger, as so many times is depicted in the nativity scene that's present, but rather they came to the house probably after Jesus was at least eight months old and maybe up to two years old, uh, after after 40 days, not eight months, I said eight months, after 40 days after the purification ceremony is when the, the, the Magi came to visit Jesus in the house. And of course, certainly we all recognize that the Bible says nothing about everybody having a halo over their head. Uh, or the, the congeniality of the animal speaking to Jesus and all the things that go along with the, uh, with the um, popular narrative. That's all imagination. And that might not be such a big deal if we were talking about an imaginary story. But we're not really, are we? We're talking about a real event. So Christians ought to be concerned about that simply from the standpoint of the perspective that it presents to people who do not know the story about Jesus' birth. And to accept the narrative that is, that is imaginative and speculative, you see, leads people astray from even putting an interest in understanding what the story, really, a story of Jesus' birth really is all about. The word Christmas itself, what does the word Christmas mean? What well, comes as derives from the medieval Christus Mass, or, or what it literally means, the Mass of Christ. Again, having its roots in Roman Catholicism, uh, it is, it is that Christus Masse became shortened to Christmas. Uh, but what the Catholics teach is that the Christmas celebration is actually a Mass of Christ. They're, they reasoned that they were Masses for other saints and there were other t- celebrations, so there need to be one for Jesus as well. 
What the Catholics teach about the Mass, if you're not familiar with this, is that the Mass ceremony is actually identical to that of the cross. That is a reenactment of the cross that is identical in every regard except for one. Uh, Gibbons in his uh, uh, recounting of the Catholic religion says the sacrifice of the Mass is identical to that of the cross, both having the same victim and the same high priest, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say the only difference consists in the manner of the oblation. Christ was offered up on the cross in a bloody manner, and in the Mass he is offered up in an unbloody manner. So what that tells us is, is that the very word itself points to a celebration of the Roman Catholic Church that is rooted in false teaching concerning the blood of Jesus Christ and the death of Jesus Christ. Hebrews in chapter 9 said Jesus is only offered up once for all time. Not that he would be offered up again and again and again. Yet that's what Catholic Church teaches and that's what Catholic Church uh, practices in the Mass. The Christ Mass, the Christmas, is simply, you see, an enlargement of that very same thing in behalf of Jesus himself. So it's impossible for us to divorce this aspect of the origins of Christmas and even the name of Christmas from the false religion that is behind it from the standpoint of the religious celebration of of the Christmas holidays. Should the Christian remember Christ or should 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 the church observe Christmas? Well, and I, I separate this up because I believe, at least in what you're going to get here is my conviction on it, and that's basically what you get all the time, but specifically, and maybe it needs to be pointed out in sermons like this, in lessons like this, that that's what you're getting is Dave's conviction about this. And I said, mentioned, as mentioned earlier, you may not agree with me on the aspect of the celebration of Christmas. But I divide this up because I think there are certain biblical principles that come into play which allow for different convictions among Christians to exist and even different practices to exist among Christians and us still be in fellowship. But when it comes to the aspect of the work of the church and what we do corporately, there must be agreement and there must be authority for what we do as we practice it together on which our fellowship can be based. So when asked the question, should the church observe Christmas, there are two principles that I believe are absolutely axiomatic. One is that we've already mentioned that there is no authority for the religious celebration of Jesus' birth. If we were to go, if we look at what we do corporately, then we back that up or we attempt to back that up with what the scriptures actually teach. From the taking of the Lord's Supper, to singing songs, to praying to God, uh, to what we do in our worship together, uh, we are to be in fellowship and have authority for what we do. God never authorized the church to celebrate uh, the event of Jesus' birth. And beyond that, he never gave regulations concerning how it was to be done. In the scriptures, God given up, given us all the instructions, he says, that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And that the scriptures themselves make a man perfect or complete into doing all of good work. So if we're going to do something religiously toward God, we ought to be able to go to the scriptures and find authority for it because that's the manual that makes us perfect or complete to doing God's work. The problem with, Christi- with, with celebration of Christmas is simply not there. And also we recognize that uh, the apostles warned individuals of the first century against uh, uh, using uh, the celebration of holidays or certain days to, as an op- for that to become an obstacle to their spiritual worship before God. Uh, in Galatians chapter 4 verse 9, Paul said, but now after you have not have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. 
Now I believe that the context of those passages is Paul's concern that the Christians of the first century would go back to Judaism and the things he's talking about there in terms of uh, days and months and seasons of the years and new moons that he warns them about in the passages in Colossians have to do with those celebrations being becoming a, a part, being made a part of, a predominant and regulatory part of their worship to God. And he's warning them, don't go back to those things. But the principle I think is involved, though it doesn't apply specifically to religious holidays today, is that Christians are commanded not to allow those things that are traditions of men, ultimately that had that particular perspective about them, to dictate their worship to God. What Paul was saying is that this gets in the way of, of, of doing only what God gives you to do and not being led astray or taken captive by the things that are philosophies and the teachings of men. So I do not believe, and of course there's no example of the New Testament church observing the birthday of Jesus, so I don't believe that the church should join in the religious celebration of Christmas. And that's uh, probably something you maybe have observed if you've worshipped with us or if you're a member here or maybe if you've, looked, you've seen uh, uh, church assemblies other places, uh, that that's something that's uh, manifestly uh, absent uh, from many uh, assemblies of the church. But the other question that comes to mind is, can the individual Christian observe Christmas as a secular or cultural holiday? And again, it's, 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 it's something that I think that can be answered by, and is answered by different Christians in different ways. But one thing is certain, I think, and I think we would all agree, that the, observe, that the Christmas celebration has both religious and non-religious elements. In fact, I remember as a kid uh, trying, scratching my head over those things that uh, I saw as being obviously connected with the birthday of Jesus and other things I thought, where'd that come from? You know, what's that got to do with the birth of Jesus? And there it was in the Christmas celebration. And there, and there, there are still some things there that I'm still trying to figure out how they got involved in the aspect of what was designed to be a celebration of Jesus' birth, even though it had origins in paganism and in false religion, it was intended to be a celebration of the birth of Jesus and made some attempt to try to accommodate itself to the, the biblical narrative. How did these things come to be? Because they're simply traditions that are cultural and secular by their very nature. So it seems as though that we could recognize that there are uh, religious and non-religious elements. Uh, even, the, even some of those elements that began in paganism or false religion no longer carry the same meaning and they're not associated with their religious origins. I doubt there are many people that decorate a tree and put it in their house and think that they're doing that as a sacrifice to Odin. Uh, that's just not part of their thinking. That they're not celebrating, even decorating that tree necessarily as a tribute to the Christ child. They're simply decorating a tree because it is a Christmas tree and because it's that time of year. And so it can very well be that they do something that, again, as I mentioned before, that's traditional, that not necessarily tie them back in their thinking or even in the thinking of others to the origin of that. Uh, the giving of gifts, Santa Claus, other types of things that are not connected necessarily with the birthday of Jesus, don't reflect upon that are part of the elements of the Christmas holidays. Now, a question that goes along with that, recognizing that's true about Christmas, uh, is it necessary for us to reject everything that has a pagan or false religion background because it has that background to it? And there are some who take this position that that's the reason why a Christian can have nothing to do with anything that has to do with Christmas. 
even those secular elements of, Christ, of, of Christmas because of their background, then who can deny that those things started in paganism? We just mentioned several of the things that, uh, that historically are connected with the, 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 uh, uh, the pagan, have, have pagan roots and false religion. So when a person participates in those things, is he necessarily giving honor to that which brought about its origin? And the person that takes that position has a very difficult time with consistency in the sense, if that's true for one thing, then must it also be true for all of those things in our life that have those same roots? Even the word holiday, you know, you're supposed to say hop holidays instead of Merry Christmas anymore. Even the word holiday, you see, is derived from the terminology holy day. So if that's Every time you use the word, you're giving honor to its origin. And every time you say holiday, you are saying holy day. Certainly other things apply to that. The months of the year that we use had their origin in paganism. January honored Janus, the Greek, the Greek god that could see both forward and backward, the beginning and the end on the Roman calendar. Uh, the days of the week reflect uh, honor originally, reflected honor to the Greek gods and other deities. Uh, Saturn... Uh, for Saturday, Sunday was an honor to the sun god, Monday to the moon god, uh, even Friday, you know, thank God it's Friday, uh, is originally was, you see, had its origin in the worship of, god, of Frigg, the god of married love. So if you, uh, if, if you want to celebrate your anniversary, Friday's the day to do that because that's the day that celebrates Frigg, the god of married love. You don't think about that, do you? I don't either. You know, Friday is the beginning of the weekend, maybe. Saturday is the day when college football's on, uh, and David's trying to get his lessons done. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with Saturn, does it, in our thinking? Yet, if you use that terminology, are you honoring it? If you accept that terminology and you live by it, are you honoring its roots? And I would suggest that you're not. In fact, we use the Gregorian calendar every day, and that calendar came as a result of the revision and development of Pope Gregory in 1580. Catholic Pope. But when I think about our calendar, I don't think about it in any way being the product of Roman Catholicism. It's just something that we use in our society to regulate time. Now, there are a lot of things I think that we could put into that classification. Other religious holidays, other holidays that are not religious necessarily, uh, even in most people's thinking today. Halloween has Catholic origin as the Hallowed Eve. Valentine's Day is a celebration of Satan Valentine. The term Corpus Christi means body of Christ. And ultimately, you see, it, Corpus Christi is a Catholic holiday, but it's also a city in Texas. So the idea that the word is used in other venues and doesn't carry with it any religious background or any connotation that way, you see, makes a point to us. Uh, that St. Louis and St. Augustine have Catholic backgrounds and ultimately began through the, through the, through the decisions of uh, those who were involved in false religion. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, that we must not dispute or quarrel over words because it genders strife and envy. And I think there is some, there's some times in this discussion when that's probably pretty good counsel for us, uh, is that what we're doing many times is simply striving over semantics without really getting to the issues that have to do with whether or not those things can be, by the Bible, determined to be right or wrong. So one thing I'm certain of is that there, there are things that in themselves, that are right in themselves, that can be wrong if I associate them with religion or if I put a religious significance upon them. Washing feet, 
You wash your feet? I wash mine. But when folks come along and say, let's wash our feet and do it in honor to Christ, what is that? Well, I would reject that on the basis that there's no biblical evidence that it was done as, 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 as worship towards God. It, does, it is mentioned in the Bible, but the distinction we would make between the washing of your feet you would do at home and the washing that the charismatics would do in their assembly is that one has a religious significance and one does not. So when a person takes something they have a right to do anyway, that there's no morality to it and attaches religious significance to it, it changes the nature of that thing in terms of how the individual reflects upon it and how he uses that particular event. Eating with others is not bad, but if I make eating with others necessarily an article of fellowship and the observance of religious holidays and eating together and make it a tradition that you should keep and I should keep in honor to God, that's exactly what Paul's saying. Don't be caught up in that. The observance of days. Because that will lead you astray. And certainly those are things I think that we would recognize. So what I would do in terms of my personal application of this is I would apply 1 Corinthians 8 1 Corinthians 10 to the subject of Christmas. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and what we're talking about here, of course, is the, the idea of eating meats that have been sacrificed to idols. The, the Gentiles take, uh, would take animals into their temples and sacrifice them there, and they would then take the meat and sell it in the marketplace. Some of them they would take home, but that meat was not the same after it had been, and their minds was not the same after it had been sacrificed to the God. It was done in honor to the God, and so they would sometimes eat the meat in celebration of the God itself. But it was nothing more than meat. And so being sold in the marketplace as meat, should the Christian buy it or should he not if he knows it's been sacrificed to idols? And Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians 8 and also Romans chapter 14 in, in, uh, in a similar language and in similar context. But he says, Therefore concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if those so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and the one Lord Jesus... Christ, whom, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol, eat, uh, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Well, what's Paul saying? Principle-wise, he's saying if one has knowledge that this is just meat, he can eat it. But he has to be careful that he doesn't do that at the expense of the weaker brother who thinks that there's something special about that meat and would eat it in honor to a god. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, again addressing this very same issue, he starts out by saying, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to a dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not to your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks... Why am I evil spoken of for the food of which I give thanks? See, Paul says, this is contextual here. If you go in there and the fellow saying, we're going to eat this meat and, and, and honor to the idol, you say, whoa, 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 wait, I can't do that. I can't honor an idol. Nothing, about, nothing right about doing that. But if he just says, sit down, we're going to have a meat, and he serves it meat that's been, that's been given to an idol, and he doesn't say anything about it, and there's no honoring involved in the eat, it's just meat, eat it. Because you see, you're at liberty to do that. 
So if I find myself in the position of giving honor to a false god, if I'm involving myself in the practice of false religion, and doing those things that are contrary to the laws of worship among God, I have to quit and refrain from that in every way. Otherwise, there are things that are right that I can participate in, depending, respecting the conscience of another individual, because they're right and because there's nothing inherent within them that would give honor to something even that they're associated with. Let me point out to you that in John chapter 10, Jesus went to the festival of lights in the city of Jerusalem. Well, the festival that's called Hanukkah today. Hanukkah, the festival of lights, is not a Jewish feast that's talked about in the Old Testament. In fact, it didn't develop at the period between the Testaments. So it wasn't a feast that was ever commanded by God, at least from what the text of the Bible describes us, but it was a celebration of the victory of the Maccabean Revolt and the lighting of the lights in the temple again after it had been dark for so long. And so it was a great celebration of a great victory for the Jewish nation and for the Jewish people. But it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It is, in essence, a secular holiday, so to speak, or if the religious connotation to it is not found within the Scriptures themselves, and yet Jesus went to the Feast of the Lights. He didn't stay away. I'm not suggesting that he participated in all the things that were involved in that, but Jesus was there in John chapter 10. And then, real quickly, as we run out of time here, it was possible to eat without honoring a false god. And that's the conclusion I would come to in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10. And then I think one of the clearest examples or applications I could make of the Christmas holiday to New Testament text is Paul's treatment of, the, of, of circumcision. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says, For Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor un- un- uncircumcision avails anything. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Now how can he say that? Circumcision was given by God to Abraham and to his descendants as a sign of the covenant. Because circumcision was something that had religious significance to the children of Israel. But to the Christian, it had no religious significance at all. It could be practiced, but if it was to be practiced, it had to be practiced apart from honoring God in the covenant of Judaism. Because that had been nailed to the cross and taken out of the way. It certainly, Paul certainly stood against the aspect that circumcision was necessary for a person to become a Christian. So what did Paul do? Well, he circumcised Timothy without giving any religious significance to the act. How could he circumcise Timothy and give religious significance to the act? It had to be something that he did from the standpoint of a custom. The idea that he circumcised Timothy simply for the purpose of making it more appealing to the Jews, his teaching. So he circumcised him. But then there's that Gentile Titus that Paul said, I ain't circumcising him. He said, I won't give him an inch on that. Why? Because circumcising Titus would necessarily imply religious significance to it because he was a Gentile. And so what Paul did shows me that it's possible to observe a custom, even a custom that began with God that had religious significance in proper worship, it's possible to observe that in a secular way or a non-religious manner because Paul did that with circumcision. He observed a custom that had a religious origin even with God, but he did it in a non-religious manner. He made that distinction. So I conclude that a Christian can observe Christmas traditions, giving gifts, sending cards, decorating a tree without placing religious significance on those actions and honoring a pagan god or even honoring the birth of Jesus in some unauthorized way. Simply because those things are customs and traditions. And that Paul would show me that it's possible for an individual to make that discernment, recognizing he must always look out for the conscience of his weaker brother. Let me close by presenting to you Paul's statements in Romans chapter 14. Who are you to judge another servant? 
to his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems everyday life. Let each be fully convinced in his own life. Now that passage doesn't give individual Christians the right to establish religious holidays and place religious significance on events that God has not authorized. But certainly Paul's saying something there about the liberty of the individual to observe cultural and secular holidays and different things in their own life in a way that does not cause division and loss of fellowship among Christians. That a person must be willing to live by their own conscience. And we, not, we must be careful that we don't judge other individuals by ours. And so what, what you get there is Dave's conviction on that, <laughs> for whatever it might be worth. But think seriously about these things if, you have, if you're struggling with this aspect of both the secular or the religious celebration of the day that we call Christmas, because I think there are biblical principles that apply. What we'll find, I think, in terms of our practice here at, the, at, uh, at Southside is there are not going to be any special services in the assemblies of this church in the observance of Christmas for the reasons that we have already discussed. But whatever else we may wish to do as individuals, let's keep, you see, our conscience uh, from the standpoint of our own lives, uh, free from any, uh, any attempt to try to coerce another into what we believe or to cause another to stumble. And not judge one another, but be ready to apply the principles of the, God, of the scriptures in the proper way to our own lives. And I would say this, uh, we need to keep looking at and studying what the scriptures teach and keep our eyes open to the implications of religious holidays among God's people. Because I think sometimes we are influenced in ways we don't realize we're being influenced uh, by the religious influences, the false religious influences of our own society. Thank you for your attention.